Today's show is sponsored by Strong DM. Transitioning your team to work from home? Managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Meet Strong DM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With Strong DM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access. Automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles. Grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. Admins get full auditability into anything anyone does, when they connect, what queries they run, what commands are typed. It's full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, that means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. StrongDM, manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your free 14-day trial today at strongdm.com gtc. Welcome to Greater Than Code. I am Jessica Kerr, and I'm happy to be here today with Avdi Grimm. Hello, and I am happy to be here today with my friend Karina Zona. Hi, and I'm Karina Zona, and I'm excited to be here with Jamie. And I am very excited to introduce my friend, uh, my local friend, actually, PJ Haggerty. Uh, PJ is the founder of DevRelate.io and a board member of Open Sourcing Mental Illness. He is an organizer of DevOps Days Buffalo, Code Days, and Elixir Days. PJ is a developer, writer, speaker, musician, and community advocate. He is known to travel the world speaking about programming and the way people think and interact, and he is also known for wearing hats, which you can't Thank see, you. but he is right now. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, there is never a time when I'm not wearing a hat. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's so great to see you all. Do you wear hats in the shower, or is that too personal? Uh, that's not personal. I do not wear hats in the shower because that is uh, not how you wash a hat. Um, I, do, I don't wear hats to sleep, although recently I did get this cool Bluetooth headband thing. It's like a face mask and kind of a hat, but it also has these earphones in it that like sit and you can listen to like calming, relaxing music while you sleep, and it's pretty awesome. So I qualify it as a sleeping hat. Well, PJ, I'm going to start out with the question you may be expecting that we start our show with. What Ooh. is your superpower and how did you acquire it? My superpower is convincing people that karaoke is a good idea. I can, Actually, that's true. I've experienced and that. It was acquired in, a, in an odd karaoke accident in the mid-80s when a truck carrying many karaoke machines collided with a truck carrying radioactive waste right in front of my mom's 75 Pinto <laughs> station wagon that didn't have a floor because it was a 75 Pinto station wagon, right? Um, so the acid-based karaoke machine splashed upon my 10 year old self and the next thing i knew i had the ability to make people mentally think that karaoke was a good idea anytime anywhere and i try to use my powers for good but i can't guarantee there's always a good outcome can i tell a pj story this happened absolutely this happened at railsconf pittsburgh what year was that two years ago a couple years ago yeah um i went to the karaoke night which pj had uh so graciously organized for us and i showed up and the, the karaoke DJ was like someone I knew from Buffalo. 
And I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, yeah, PJ brought me. PJ yeah, brings and- his own DJ karaoke with him to events from Buffalo. Yeah, I, I, I try to whenever it's possible. We have this great guy here um, who I think some of you have met, Tony. I always try to bring him to events, bring him out so that he can, like, you know, meet the people. Like, we have such great things here in Buffalo that, you know, I do DevRel, but at the same time, like, the one client that I have that I never get paid for is the city of Buffalo. So I try to bring a little Buffalo with me whenever I can. There's a great conference that I was helping out with earlier this year called Title of Conf, run by Aisha Blake, and we had a whole setup. She met Tony last year at Abstractions because we were down in Pittsburgh again, and we had this whole plan to bring Tony out to Detroit, a whole after party for the entire conference that was based completely 100% on doing karaoke for like hours and hours and hours with this entire like musical-infused tech conference, and it was going to be awesome. I mean, it's just it's just another way to kind of showcase the city and say like, listen, we're good people. Bring us wherever you want to go. We'll show you a good time. The karaoke thing actually, in reality, started at Ruby uh, Ruby Leone many years ago. I was there with uh, with Chris Kelly, who was at New Relic at the time, and a lot of you know Terrence Lee from Heroku. And there was this weird dichotomy. There was this weird wall between the attendees and the speakers. Like they were putting us on these pedestals, like. Oh, the speakers, we can't talk to them. They're too cool. They're too rad. Like, there's no way. Um, and we we're like, we've got to stop this. Like, we're just people too. Like, we want to have fun. We want to talk to you. We came all the way to France to meet you and nobody's talking to us. So oddly, like complete non sequitur, Terrence says, man, I wish there was some karaoke around. I love karaoke. And I'm like, I love karaoke too. And, and Chris Kelly's like, I'm 100% into karaoke. And so we end up, we, we Google, we find a place, we invite the entire conference after day one, to come with us to this karaoke bar. And that's where Ruby Karaoke was born. Um, about six months later, PHP Karaoke started at FOSDEM. Then there was like a whole DevOps Karaoke. The JavaScript community started doing karaoke. Karaoke, uh, yeah, Jamie sent pictures from from Ruby Karaoke in Australia. I got them in the morning, which made me feel very out of place with the whole, like, why are people doing karaoke? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. This is insane. But yeah, it just became a thing. It's a great way to, like, break the ice with people, have a good time. You can drink, you cannot drink, you can sing, you cannot sing. You can go to a quiet place and have a conversation, or you can sit there and sing Bohemian Rhapsody with 60 of your closest friends. It's just kind of a, an easy icebreaker way to get away from the, for lack of a better term, the very broy parties and things that sometimes go on at conferences. And I know since a lot of us have been at those broy parties that we know exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like, you know, drink party shots loud DJs and you can't talk to anybody. And it's like, that's not really fun. People are there with t-shirt cannons and shit. Where's the enjoyment there? Like, where's the personal interaction? And I'd much rather, you know, hang out and sing Panic at the Disco with Jamie at a tiny bar in Buffalo than listen to a DJ and then go home and think, I don't know any of those 250 people who are in the room with me. But that's me. I'm glad to be higher up on your list than that. Thank you. (laughs) All the time, Jamie, all the time. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we when we originally started talking about this episode and coming on Greater Than Code, Karina and I were having a conversation about a lot of things in the DevRel world. And um, it was interesting to me because I unintentionally became part of the DevRel world. That was kind of where this whole start story began. Um, it wasn't all a big plan to drag more of the world into karaoke? It was not. like it, Okay, so maybe that was my insidious underplan. But in reality, it, it was all an accident. Um, it all started again. I don't know. Every story is going to start with Pittsburgh for this entire episode. But I was at, at Ruby, um, Steel City Ruby, the first one. Um, I can't, I think it was like two, 2012. 
And whenever there was kind of a a localized or not too far away, you could drive to a conference, uh, Jim Wyrick would send me a message and say, hey, bring your guitar. We'll just skip lunch on day one or day two. We'll bring our guitars to the conference and we'll, we'll mess around. Um, and for those of you who remember Jim, he was an amazing guitarist, ukulele player, bass, harmonica. The man was definitely suited to do many things well, um, one of them playing six-stringed instruments. But we were sitting there at lunch, and it was myself, uh, a guy I worked with named Bill Chapman, Jim, and Corey Haynes, who a lot of us also know. And uh, Corey comes up to me, and I'd been working at Engineard about a year at that point in time, working in support. I was a Ruby developer working support because everybody else was an infrastructure person or you know an ops person, and I was the dev. I was the dev to their ops. We created DevOps. Thank you, Engineered everyone. But I was at the conference, and we're sitting there, and, and Corey's like, you know, you're a pretty smart guy. And I said, thank you. And he said, why don't you ever do a talk? You're so outgoing. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, you folks go up there, and you deliver these amazing deep-dive technical things. And like, I have a half an idea about a talk that's not – I'm like, it's kind of related to this, but it's not. And he's like, cool. And he goes out. And I thought maybe he went to the restroom or maybe he was going to get more pizza or a soda or something. He comes back and goes, dude, I totally signed you up for lightning talk. And I'm like, what? It's like, I signed you up for lightning talk. I'm like, what? I didn't. I said I had half an idea. I don't have slides. He's like, you don't need slides. You'll be fine. I'm like, I'll be fine. I've never really, I haven't done public speaking since college because it's not really my thing. You know, I, as a musician, I played the drums so that I had a full wall between me and the rest of the world. And he's like, no, you'll be fine. You're going right after me. And I'm like, oh, that's even better. Thanks, Corey. That's awesome. So there's like eight people. He's seven. I'm eight. Uh, we go on. He does this great talk about, I remember the person before him talked about lightning. Corey talked about like the importance of properly using class structures. I can't remember exactly what he talked about because I was kind of in a state at that point in time. Like, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. I have no slides. I have no idea what I'm about to say. Um, but I knew that I wanted to talk about meetups because we had just started working on rebuilding the Western New York Ruby Brigade. Um, remember when we used to all have Ruby Brigades? Those were fun. So I got up and I was like, listen, you know, the thing is, meetups are like an open source project. And then I just spoke nonstop for five minutes. I thought that would be the end of it. But as as luck would have it, if you call it luck, I get off stage and a gentleman named Wes Garrison from Kansas City in Missouri comes up and says, hey, I would love if you would give that full talk at our conference in Ruby Midwest. Would you be willing to do that? And I said, I don't even know if I can. Like, I don't know if that's something I can do. That's not my job. Talked to my boss a couple of days later. He said, yeah, absolutely. Do it. Make sure you're wearing an engine yard t-shirt. And if I remember correctly, there's one very clear voice in the crowd every time I made a joke. Um, and it was Jessica who was laughing. Like the room was full. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. It was Jess Jessica was there. And that's where I met uh, uh, Carrie and, and a bunch of other people. Home. Yeah. And it, it was incredible. And it was amazing. And I was like, this is cool. I want to do this more often. So it just so happened that some of the folks from Ruby Leone were there. So they invited me to come speak in France. And I was going to Israel. And then the next thing I know, a guy named Eamon Leonard, who I think a few of you have met, um, who is a very good friend of mine and a very interesting individual. He came to me and he said, hey, we're going to start a community team. And I said, cool. What What's a community team? And he goes, I have no idea. We're going to figure it out. And that's kind of how I started doing DevRel at EngineYard. Uh, we created a team and made up all the rules as we were going along. No one had really done it before. You know, before that point, if you were doing, it wasn't even called DevRel. If you were doing community talks and things like that, 
you were an engineer or you were a VP of something or maybe even a C-level and you would go out and you would you know, go do your slides and, and give your talk. There was no formal job for this. So, of course, the first thing that we had to do is you know, convince people to pay us money to do this. Um, luckily we had Eamon and he's very convincing. You know, he convinced Engineer to buy his company, you know, based in, uh, an interaction in a pub in Ireland one night. He convinced Engineer to buy Orchestra, which was a platform as a service for PHP. Um, and that's like an incredible thing. So here we are about 10 years, almost 10 years later of doing DevRel. I now own my own company that does DevRel as a service. Uh, we're the first people to ever do that. And in between, uh, I've worked for startups that were small. I've worked for startups that lasted about a month. I've worked for big companies, you know, some of the oldest companies in, in the tech business, um, and all, you know, really focusing on how people interact with the machines. Like, why is code important? What are the things we do? What's innovation? What does all this mean? And, you know, I've seen each of you speak and each of you has been an inspiration for some of the things that I've done. Um, I, I do remember one thing that particularly stands out is being in Brazil with Avdi where we happened to give two talks that completely meshed into each other perfectly. And it was like the ultimate conference moment. But like, these are the kind of things that I think people live for. And, uh, I know we're recording this during a time when a lot of people are, you know, kind of on self isolation or, or furlough or, or all kinds of things locked down. And this is, I think, a major thing that's missing. Like you can have a community and you can have an online community. It could be very vibrant, but it does require some sort of physical interaction at some point in time. You need to see people. You need to maybe not embrace them physically, but embrace them mentally and emotionally to really understand what's the importance of a community. And that's kind of why I do what I do. Yeah, plus one on that. This is one of the, as we move to online conferences very, you know, abruptly overnight, I'm struggling with what that's going to mean because to me, so much of what makes conferences important is the influence it can have on your career to be able to talk directly to people, especially people that you you do feel are above you, right? To have some time really discovering that we're not ranked and that you can really learn a lot from people who are uh, both junior and senior and to be able to build networks and have really spontaneous conversations that just don't happen when you're having to focus on solving a particular problem today. All those things, including, like you said, like the sort of emotional labor of it is, is really important, actually. Someone needs to do that. and Someone needs to be able to really talk to community and notice things like the body language of it. When someone's sort of pausing, when you ask, you know, how how is uh, this working out for you? All these little things that are really only discernible in person and only can be rewarding in person. How are we going to to either replicate that or do something else? that delivers that part of the experience, even just the focus of it. I, there's an online conference going on today, day two of uh, Lead Dev Live, mm-hmm. and the interaction was so different. So you had even people who were saying, oh, I'll come back later and, and watch that morning talk at lunch. And one of the things that really helps me is that I'm somewhere where I can only focus on just the one thing, because otherwise... You know, my queue of talks is unlimited and I never really circle back to them if it's on video because there's always tomorrow that you can watch the video. Right. Um, well, so it's, it's kind of like being less. Yeah, it's kind of like we, we have this joke in Buffalo. It's like, you know, you know why I never go to Niagara Falls? Because it's always going to be there. I can see it whenever I want. Yeah. Um, you know, people yep. in New York City don't go see the Empire State Building. Why? It's always going to be there. It's not a big deal. 
But it, it's kind of that same idea. If, when a talk is recorded, that's great to have it there for posterity. And if someone needs to dig into that information really deeply, that's awesome. But I think the difference in a live conference is the talk is almost less important than what the talk stimulates. Yes. Um, the idea behind a talk is you've got 30 or 40 minutes to say, I'm going to plant this idea in your head. I'm planting this seed. Then you're going to get a 10-minute break or half hour for lunch or whatever. And you're going to go out in that hallway and you're going to see people who weren't in this talk and you're going to talk about this while they talk about the thing that they learned. And that's how you grow a, a, a garden. That's how you grow a forest. That's how you grow a community. Um, you just keep planting these seeds. And and I like what you said about the body language too. You know, I've seen some of these videos for these online things and it's just like we are now. So we're on Skype and you can basically see people from like the clavicle up. So, you know, granted, I'm animated and my hands are flying all over the place because that's how I talk. But like, that's the kind of thing that you miss. Someone's passionate about something. You can't see it that much from the clavicle up. You can't, you know, tell that they're really into it. You can try to intone and you can try to do different things. But I used that example when I spoke at Ruby Midwest and I knew Jessica was there because of her laugh. If I was to just be in a video call and, and Jessica wasn't visible and she laughed, I wouldn't know because I can't see how her body's reacting. Is she laughing at me? Is she laughing with me? Is she laughing inappropriately at something that isn't even happening around me? I have no way of knowing. And like that body language, those interactions are key, key to delivering the message you're trying to deliver. I mean, if not, we could all, you know, have the most boring monotone voices to just sit there and say, here's the content. We are going to talk about DevOps today. And, and DevOps is the concatenation of development and operations. Like that's, great for NPR or a podcast or some ASMR video, it's not great for delivering tech talks. For me, conferences, the most important part are hallway track uh, mm -hmm. for uh, all the reasons that you just described. And also, it's funny that you mentioned Steel City of all places, because I was at Steel City 2013, and it was the only time that I crossed paths with Jim Wyrick. And it was outside of a talk. My talk was coming up, and so I was out in the hall getting ready. And there I was somehow all of a sudden alone with Jim Wyrick, Constantine Haas, and some third person who I also just, you know, looked up to tremendously. And, oh, I know who it was. Avdi, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You were on my right. Constantine was on my left. And Jim was across from me. And I'm standing there going like, there are three people talking right now. And they're making eye contact with me. And I don't know what to do. And Jim was just so full of joy. Here is somebody who was, oh, was a real best. leader in the community without in any way trying. He just was someone that everyone loved so much. I say was because he did pass away. I think it was even a few months after that. And it was not that long, whatever it was. But he was just the most joyful person and a little kid. His talk actually wasn't a talk. He was just showing off a drone. It was just him giggling <laughs> over a drone. You know, only he could get away with doing that. And it was just wonderful. But those kinds of spontaneous things, there's, there is no way for that to happen except in person. And I think aside from conferences, that's also our everyday. And I think one of the reasons why right now a lot of us are struggling is that you don't have that kind of interaction, those opportunities to just be in a room with someone and have a conversation happen that would never have happened if you set out to do it deliberately. It would never be an agenda item. Um, yeah, and to yeah. overhear things, you know, when you're too afraid to speak, but you overhear something that just blows your mind, like, whoa, that person is like been doing this 10 more years is struggling with the exact same problem I am. 
I had no idea. It's okay that I'm struggling with it too. Like those are, are wonderful moments that usually only happen at conferences or meetups. Yeah, I, th- so. I, th- I totally agree. I've heard a lot of people like discussing how can we emulate the hallway track in these virtual conferences, which I do think is an important conversation to have because like right now we have to do these virtual conferences. It's the only mm-hmm. choice. And like, you know, we should try to emulate that as best we can. But I don't think like there's been a lot of debate that I've seen about like, well, can we emulate it to the point where it's like as good as and like, I think the answer is no. Um, Like, I think like, you know, the idea of like deciding that you want to do the hallway track is something that people do and I've done. And like, that can be a conscious thing. But like, even if you're not deciding that you want to do the hallway track, like some of the most interesting people I've met, like, we just happen to be like standing near each other in line when we were getting lunch. And like you can't emulate exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's those kind of random interactions. You know, it's it's finding out like like oh, you're there by yourself. You know, oh well, I'm just going to grab a table and you randomly sit down with somebody. And you know, this was my first actual conference experience before I ever started speaking. You know, I was I was a developer, and uh, the place I was working, we did Visual Fox Pro. So I'm going to, should I pause for a moment so all the youngsters can look up what Visual Fox Pro is? Um, we converted to Ruby and this, this, uh, this conference called Voices That Matter was, matters was happening. So I go to this conference and up to that point, I'd only been to Microsoft events. So button down shirt, khaki pants, picture that. Y'all know me. Picture me wearing that outfit. It's not likely. And I walk in, I'd been told to meet this woman. I can't remember her name. She was like the organizer. And she said, okay, well, have a seat with these folks. You know, they're, you know, part of the Ruby community. And so I sit down at a table and it's Brian Lyles, Sandy Metz, Tamar Soleil, and Obi Fernandez. And I did not know what any of these people who had written books that I was working with looked like. And Brian looks over at me and, you know, he's eating his, his, his like porridge and oatmeal. And he's like, hey, you look uncomfortable. Because, of course, they're all in t-shirts and jeans. And he's like, you look uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah. He's like, how far away is your hotel? I was like, not far. He's like, go change. He's like, the conference isn't, he's like, if this is your first Ruby conference, you probably don't know. We're starting 15 minutes late at least. Um, so go change, come back. He's like, don't worry. My name is Brian. Brian and I have been friends ever since that moment. And it was just kind of like, that was the kind of like, these were, you know, four of the biggest names in Ruby at that time, short of like DHH and Matt's. And they're just like, yeah, you're cool. Like here, you know, we'll, We'll save your your eggs and toast or whatever I had on my plate. Go steal a shirt from Pivotal and toss it on and go go put some jeans on because you don't look like you're actually comfortable. And they were right. I was not comfortable in polyester khakis and and a dress shirt. I never was. That's the kind of interaction like people are never going to know or understand if they can't have that that big interaction. And it's also the moment that I kind of realized like you know finding a community is about finding the right place, the right fit for you. I've since been able to travel through a lot of different communities, code communities, different philosophical and, you know, theoretical uh, things around development and architecture and operations and, and everything. I've been very lucky in my career that I've been able to do that, but I've never had the sense of welcome that I ever had when I first joined the Ruby community. I know Avdi's talked about this a lot, just like, like that feeling that when RubyConf or RailsConf comes up, it's like homecoming. It's like, you know, old home days, you're going to the reunion, you're going to see all your friends, you're going to make some new ones. Um, like it's, it's almost a guarantee. And I miss that a lot. I, th- I think that's something that these virtual conferences, they can't compete with that. There's no way they can actually like equate what they're doing with that experience. And it sounds like we're just bragging about conference stories and all the cool people we've met and aren't we cool, but 
the thing is, we are where we are because we ran into people at conferences before we were speakers. Right. Before we had this podcast. And we're speakers because of that. And we're podcasting because of that. And we're not special. We're lucky. And this is one way we were lucky. And it sucks that it's gone right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. I, I could not agree more strongly. I am in the unusual uh, place that my very first conference was the first time I spoke. So I was in over my head. And I'm grateful that I was scheduled to speak the second day because I didn't know I was over my head until the first day. The first yeah. five minutes of the first day was when I realized I was in trouble. I thought I was totally <laughs> prepared and I was extremely wrong. Sandy Metz was one of the people who spoke that first day. And that's a great way to find out that you're in over your head. I agree so strongly that nobody here is extra cool or extra important. What we are is extra visible. And that visibility provides such a a platform to help other people as well to make sure that their voices get heard as developer um, relations people bringing those voices back to the company, to the engineering, to product, that there's a full circle going on. And those signals are hard to pick up in any way other than person. There's certainly a lot that you can through things like forums and slacks. But the reason that I'm in DevRels is because of conferences um, that they provided me all sorts of different opportunities to both do good and to be seen and heard. I don't think a voice like mine was going to be heard any other way than conferences forcing people to sit down and hear. And that that means the world to me. And I know there's so many other people like Ash Dryden organized AlterComp for years. And the specific purpose was to give underrepresented people, um, some of them very far outside of tech, a platform and a voice to be heard by people in tech. And that was transformative. It Alter. still is transformative. Yeah, Alter go for it. was my first time speaking. Yeah, legendary. Yeah, that's the key. I think that a lot of people look to it and say, like, oh, these folks in DevRel, first of all, they're leading such glamorous lives. Traveling the world just to talk about stuff they already know, how awesome that must be. And first of all, let me tell you, not awesome. When I know when I land in Detroit, which gate is I'm at, determines how far I am away from the Popeye's fried chicken place. And I know this inherently. As soon as they say, you're at gate A36, I'm like, I'm only like four gates away. I know I can get there. Um, like, these are things you know. When you know exactly how to pack how many cubes into your th – like, you have so much knowledge on things you shouldn't. You spend so much time in airports and cabs and hotels. And sometimes you go to a city and you never see that city. And it's it's not as easy as it sounds. But it's also – our responsibility to use the platform that we have to change the way the platform looks. I was working, you know, again with my friend Eamon Leonard. We were helping the folks at Web Summit because this is just at the beginning when other when large scale conferences were starting to say, this diversity and inclusion thing seems kind of important, but we don't understand how to do it. And we came to them with a simple statement. We said, here's what you're going to do. Put people on stage that don't look like us. And they're like, what do you mean? White, bearded, older Gen Xers. Just don't put us on stage. It's just that you know, it really is that. Well, they're like, well, we have a logarithm and we have this, you know, this whole thing that we're doing to, to build these cross AI research machine learning lists of speakers. And I'm like, I literally provide them with a list of 28 speakers that weren't white men in a matter of 28 minutes off the top of my head. 
And I'm like, these are all great speakers. These are all A-level speakers. They are killer caliber. And there's no way that your algorithm works if I can do this and make a spreadsheet faster than you can come up with three speakers. But it's it's just that. I mean, we are lucky enough to be out there in the world to meet these people and take the opportunities to kind of break down the barriers. And uh, and like I, I give a big speech to people that I mentor. My job is to look for people who don't look like me, reach my hand down, pull them all the way up. And if I'm lucky, I can throw them higher than I got. Granted, I shouldn't be throwing anyone in the air with my bad back, but you know what can you do? But in all, in all seriousness, like, that's our responsibility. It's a heavy responsibility. Um, so when people come and they say, oh, well, DevRel, you're just shilling stuff, or you're just living a fancy lifestyle, you're just sucking on the money of, of, of a, an organization or a corporation to live an influencer life, it's like, no, you've completely missed the point. And if that is the reason why you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. And I won't say that there's no one who's not doing it for those reasons, because there are, and I've met them, and I don't appreciate them at all. In the course of talking about that, you actually started to answer the question that I hadn't asked yet. But I'm still going to ask it, which is I agree with something Jessica said about us being very lucky. I do agree with that. And listening to your story about like how this happened to you, like I can see like, you know, things fell into place. Um, It wasn't necessarily something you were planning. That's how it happened for me, too. I think that's pretty common. And so my question is, how do you and this is what you started to answer. How do you pass on that lucky to other people? But also, like, how would you recommend that other people pass on that lucky to other people? Sure. I, I mean, part of this is a, it's a very active activity. I know that's like a weird way to say it, but it's a very active thing you need to do. You need to find the people. Again, I'm lucky. I go to 25, 30 conferences a year, um, including the ones that I organize. So I get to see the speakers. I get to meet the people in their natural, you know, in where they live, at their point of origin. So I can see, you know... Someone in India who's just out of university and says, I've never had a voice before. How do I get up on stage? And starting with a, like, let me tell you about CFPs, you know, but all those things and, and just, you know, helping people share knowledge. I'm lucky in the fact that I get to meet a lot of these people firsthand, but it's also the network you create in doing this. I'd be willing to bet almost every single one of us has been contacted by someone that says, listen, I appreciate what you do. I think it's awesome. I want to be in. I want in. Um, whether that's learning how to code or learning how infrastructure works or how do you get a job in tech when you have no experience? How do you get experience in tech if you don't have a job or how to become a speaker at a conference? Like it's a really simple thing to just say, yes, you know what? I'm willing to donate my time. I'm willing to give you, you know what? A couple hours a week to work through your talk proposals, to look at your code and review it, to help you write tests, whatever it is they need. It's going to take a couple hours out of your time. It's not going to hurt anything. It's going to make your, all the communities you work with better. That's all there really is to it. You have the privilege of time. You have the privilege of notoriety. Those things, well, how I got here is luck. Those things aren't luck. Those things are things that have been given to me. And the only thing I really can do is give them to other people. Granted, I, I make it very clear because I, I run a company. I'm just saying, if you're a white guy and you come to me and you say, I need you to teach me how to be a speaker, cool. There's a cost associated with that. You're going to pay me. If you are anybody else who I'm not going to see commonly at a conference, I'm willing to do it for free. And some people might say that's a double standard, but hey, there's a double standard with the fact that there's still conferences out there that are 90% white males as speakers. So if you're a white male, you could probably get on stage. You don't really need my help. That's my platform. 
you make a similar offer. I do anywhere between one and four sessions per week that's devoted solely to giving free speaker mentoring to underrepresented people in tech. It's not necessarily that you're excluded as a white man, but that there's such a long list of people who are not white men who get that attention first. And there's never a shortage of that need to help people get their first opportunity because their second one, they always just are fantastic. They run with it. Mm -hmm. The first one is the hard one. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like catching fish, not an animal crossing. That's super easy. Just want to be hip with what the kids are doing these days, but like catching a fish in real life is kind of difficult or also riding a bike the first time it's tough, but once you do it, you've done it. And it's like, Oh, I get this. This is 100%. I understand what I need to do. Now let me replicate what I've done, deleting all the bad steps that I took and moving forward. And I think one of the, one of the things that, that makes me happy about doing it, and like I think the big reward isn't like the first person getting their first talk or getting their, their first job, landing their first DevRel position, whatever. That's cool. It's when they then use it to help someone else. And I see them say, oh, hey, I have a mentee now. I'm like, yes. This has been victory. This is, you know, I've, I've done something positive. The pyramid scheme of, of using privilege to bring people up to the platform is successful. Thank you, multi-level marketing scheme people. You weren't <laughs> wrong in how it works. So earlier you had mentioned prompt and I would love to circle back to that because that's been a really important influential thing. Uh, the first time I saw a prompt speaker was, and I can't believe this is the third time it's coming up, but Steel City Ruby. Um, and it was Greg, tell Greg me August. August, um, gave a talk on depression. And this is one of the things that online can't replicate because he asked how many other people have experienced depression. And it was the most earth shaking thing to see how many hands were raised. Uh, and there was no camera to capture that. Right. Um, but it was a wake up. It was a validation. It was extraordinary. And it wasn't the speaker's words that were that transformative. It was what was happening in the room and how, right. how that even felt. You could feel something shift in the room. And those kinds of talks just, they're never listed in a CFP as something we're looking for, but it is something that's needed. I've seen a couple of other mental health talks over the years and every single one of them has been that same kind of transformative experience. Mm -hmm. um, so what you do with prompt is so important. I would love to hear more about what that is, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to give a little background, prompt started as a project uh, between Eamon Leonard and I, we realized, you know, when we were building that community team, there were two huge, 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 huge issues in tech. One was diversity and inclusion. And we were working on, we were already working on something with Ash to kind of deal with that first internally and then externally at the events we were involved in and communities we were involved in. So we knew we kind of had that one taken care of. The other was mental health. And this came about partially because when Eamon was looking to sell orchestra before engineer even came into the picture, he was traveling the US and he found out a good friend of him is, is, had committed suicide. He never knew that there was a problem. And this is where prompt got started. Nine times out of 10, and that's not a strict statistic. Please do not take that as a as literal statistic. People in tech are unwilling to face the fact that they have a mental health issue. Our brilliant idea was, well, let's get people who are willing to talk about it up on stage and talk about it. Shortly before we started Prompt, we were both at a conference. We saw Ed Finkler speak. And for those of you who have seen Ed speak, Ed's very open about his mental health issues. 
at that point in time, there was no prompt. There was no OSMI. It was just something he was doing because he felt that it was necessary. So uh, we got back to the office. We sat down together. We said, well, how do we, how do we tackle this? And uh, in 2013, um, we were throwing a conference called Distill. And we launched Distill. And we said to engineer, give us 10 grand. We're going to let these people speak wherever they want, wherever we can get them up on stage, any place, anytime, anywhere. And you're going to give us the money to do it. Um, and we started with Ed Finkler, Greg Bogus. A guy from Buffalo at the time, Patty Foran, um, now Patty Carver, and John Dalton, who was a database administrator working right at Engineer that we did not know was speaking about living with someone with bipolar disorder. And he had been doing this for a couple of years down in Tasmania and Australia. He was at RubyConf Australia every year talking about mental health. We never knew. So that kind of showed us how pervasive the issue was. Here's someone at our own company covering the topic that we want to get out there, and we didn't even know. So we, we decided this is what we wanted to do. Prompt lasted for a while. The main thrust was to start a conversation about mental health. So share your story, get it out there, see if you can get other people to start talking about it. Um, a year or two after we started Prompt, Ed started his own organization, Open Sourcing Mental Illness, um, osmihelp.org. And we were kind of working in parallel. He was producing surveys and write-ups and little pamphlets to pass out to people to understand what mental health looks like the importance of getting mental health, the importance of taking mental health for aid classes to recognize it in your coworkers and, and colleagues and things like that. And we were working to basically wrangle the speakers. Like we had a speaker corral. Um, I think at the, at the peak, we were at about 18 speakers and we were managing to get them to two and three events a month. Uh, we had people giving direct donations. We did a couple Indiegogo campaigns and like, it was amazing to see every time one of these folks would go on stage and they spoke about everything from burnout which is a fairly common issue that people have, to imposter syndrome, to ADHD, to bipolar, depression, anxiety, everything, you know, suicidal ideation, everything. And they were so, like you were saying, Karina, so raw about it. And so seriously, like they were like, listen, this is what's going on. And do any of you think you have some of these problems? And to see the hands go up or even not see the hands go up and see someone approach the speaker afterwards was kind of amazing. Uh, Justina Reche gave a talk at Code Days about eating disorders, and people were like, that's out of this world. I never thought about the fact this might be an issue that I have. never thought about you know, what triggers that might go on in my life and how the way that I treat my body is different and in contrast with the way that I should and the way that I should take care of myself because I've had these things take place. That talk changed my life. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was amazing. From an organizer perspective, it was tough because it there were, there were tears in the room. Two speakers had to leave. One of them was supposed to go on next. So we had to have a huge break. I left but, and I didn't come back until the next day after that talk, but it changed my life. <laughs> yes. I, well, I remember worrying that you weren't going to come back. You went out in tears, <laughs> um, which unfortunately is often the response, but it's a necessary response. Like You have to realize there's things that are more important in your life than writing code. And I mean, the, the, the analogy I always make is, you know, people often say like, you know, they'll complain that their keyboard is crap or their hard drive isn't big enough or the memory is not good enough or the code just doesn't write the way they want. They'll talk about how their tools are broken, but no one in tech ever wants to say my brain doesn't work. There's so much fear behind that. There's such a stigma. And that was really the goal of prompt was to get these people to talk publicly about it and therefore end the stigma. Do I think we've done it? No. Over the past couple of years, due to issues, like we were under the Travis Foundation, but Travis went through some changes earlier last year. 
we are now like completely part of OSMI. So the prompt team takes care of the speakers. OSMI takes care of everything else. Um, and it's nice because we're comfortable. It's also a, you know, a nonprofit. So all of the money goes into getting these people places and, and making sure the message gets out there. It's something I've been passionate about for a long time. I think it might be even more pertinent at these times when people can't, you know, get out and seek help. We have people that specifically talk about like, you know, telemedicine, telepsychology, uh, telepsychiatrists, things like that, and the importance of, of how they work. And it's interesting because I'll say almost none of the speakers are doctors. Um, we do have one, Dr. Jenna Culian. She's very amazing. But she specifically focuses on the clinical psychology of people who work in tech dealing with mental illness. Everyone else writes code or is a designer or database administrator, or they work in tech in some capacity, and they're just there to share their story. I think that does more than you know written articles or things like that from, from medical professionals. In tech, there's blah, blah. That's very important. But until you know someone comes up to you and says, like, listen, you know what? I suffer from imposter syndrome. I go up on stage on a regular basis to talk about technology, and I feel like everyone thinks I'm a liar. That is true. That's something I have an issue with every time I go up on stage. But if I didn't say it, no one would believe me. Yeah, yeah. Those are the talks that you probably wouldn't choose to see, but because you're in the place, you go to them and they have the biggest impact. And then there's all the talks about, you know, actual technical things, which are your excuse to be there. Exactly, exactly. Well, I feel like in some ways, sometimes people have to trick their their bosses or their managers into going to conferences because, you know, they see the talk that says like, Kubernetes, isn't it great? Which is the talk at every conference right now, everywhere, I'm pretty sure. Kubernetes, you can't go wrong. And what they really want to see is, you know, this talk about, you know, my personal journey through dealing with anxiety while working in an office, you know, social anxiety while working in an office um, environment, open office or whatever. Like that's, there, there's things that are key to you being human because you're a human before you're anything else. You're a human before you're a coder. You're a human before you're a technologist. Um, this is this is actually why I love this podcast because like it points out there are things greater than code and it's being a person. Being a person is so much more important. And to be a person, you have to feel complete. And part of feeling complete is understanding that there's other people going through the things you are going through. Okay. To uh, be fair, to be a person, you have to work at feeling complete. Yes. You certainly yes. don't have to feel complete yet. No, no. You should, but you have to have that goal. Like there has to be. That's the mountain you're 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 trying to. Oh my God! Did I just quote Miley Cyrus? That's, but that's, that's your mountain to climb. You're trying to be complete. You're trying to be as awesome as you possibly can be. And in order to do that, you have to be able to relate to others and have others relate to you. So until you know that other people are going through what you're going through, sometimes it's hard. Yeah. It's really the only way to be a person is together. Exactly. Which makes this isolation hard. It, it absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like you know, someone you say in relation to code. If you write a piece of code and it never gets distributed, and no one else ever sees it. Did it matter? Was it really code? Was it really valuable? You need it some sort of you to write it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but at the same, like if you don't ever find out that there's other people out there, if you live this hermit life and you never, you never interact with others, do you really understand yourself? Okay, I'm getting philosophical. I had too many Oreos at lunch. <laughs> Oreos will do that. I really like this, and I like I understand that we're talking about it right now a lot in the in the context of like talking about mental health, which I agree is really important. But I also kind of want to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier with like diversity and inclusion in the industry, 
because it can feel really lonely to be like, you know, there's nobody here like me. And Mm -hmm. I think that like when I was first in tech, I felt that way sometimes. I still feel that way sometimes, but less now, you know, I've met like a lot of other trans people in tech, a lot of other trans masculine people. And I joke about how like all the trans masculine people in tech know each other, which is kind of a joke, but kind of not. (laughs) And it's like, cause there's community and it's like, you know, there are other people like me that are doing this I'm not the only one and like also when I'm feeling bad about you know however I'm treated by the industry and people in the world and like the inevitable things that happen like you know that there's other people that are also like you know struggling and overcoming that same kind of stuff I wanted to mention this earlier actually because you were talking about I understood what you meant but I think that it's important when we're talking about like white men on stage that you actually meant like white cis men yes yes (laughs) and i knew Um, i knew that's what you meant i'm not accusing you but i do think it's important to say that because like that's the kind of thing that sometimes makes people feel like that's the kind of thing that has in the past sometimes made me feel like you know well people will say like oh well you're so seen like white men and i'm like i'm not seen like (laughs) Yeah, that's that. You're you're absolutely right. I should have said white cis men. I knew. I uh, understand. <laughs> because yeah, and, and when it comes to being seen, there's no one more seen than white cis men. Uh, look at almost any conference lineup in North America. Like seriously, it's 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 a ridiculous problem. But yeah, I I agree. And the the only way, and I like the fact that you use the term seen because the key is like I love AlterConf and AlterConf is a wonderful event. But in some ways, it's like hey, here we all are, all of us who already know each other, and a few people who don't who are new, but we're all here in our own space. It's like, that's good. That's a great first step. But what we really need is all of the people at AlterConf on stage at RailsConf, on stage at Web Summit, on stage at AWS reInvent. That's when you know the difference has been made. It's it's kind of like, you know, there's a place in Buffalo, and I, I know Jamie knows about it, called the Colored Musicians Club. It's it's an old blues and jazz club that's been around for almost 100, I think over 150 years, almost 200 years now. It was about having a place to play if you were a colored musician because you couldn't play anywhere else in the city. Um, eventually, it was extended to Irish musicians because they were going through the same thing. But now it's it's for everyone because everyone can play everywhere. So that's kind of like in, in the musician section, uh, at least in Western New York, that's a huge win. Because everyone's sharing the same stages all the time. Maybe not all the time, especially not right now. But yes, Jane. I have a story about Colored Musicians Club that's related to this. The first time I ever went there to see music, I got chatting with some of the people. Like, uh, It's the kind of place where just a bunch of people like go and jam or whatever. And I got chatting to them and they were like, oh, so you play? And I was like, I don't know, a little, I guess. Like I play ukulele like a little. And they were like well, where's your ukulele? And I was like, uh, at home. And they were like, well, why didn't you bring it? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And they're like, well, next time you will bring it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. that, that's, that's how it's like, you're like, oh, you're here. You're here to play. You didn't bring an instrument. You're here to sing. You don't have you know, you, like me. I'm a drummer. It's like, I cannot walk through the doors with drums that they are the least portable instrument. Um, except maybe piano, but like, you know, like you show up and they're like, where are your sticks? Sit down. You're, you're going to play a couple. I'm taking a break. Like that kind of like, it's aggressive inclusion. It's like, what you walk through the door. I don't care. You've got a banana sticking out of your cool. What do you play? <laughs> we got one of those. Go play. That's the way. Oh yeah. We totally need an ear banana right, right now. Who, who doesn't? 
on stage. Um, what sound does that even make? We'll find out. It's kind of a it's kind of a flopping sound, at least to the person with the banana in the ear. But that's the kind of aggressive occlusion that we need, and it needs to be led by the people who are already on stage. When I when I first went to the Colored Musicians Club, I was 13 years old. A friend of mine from school who was also in the school band was like, we're going to go there because our teacher was always talking about how great it was. Like they play the best jazz there. And when you're a drummer, you kind of learn jazz first. Doesn't matter that I played punk rock and hardcore and math rock for the rest of my life. I learned jazz first. And we went there and just, just like you're saying, Jamie, their first thing was like, cool. What do you play? I was like, I'm 13. Nothing. Well, they're like, what do you play? Come in. And, and literally I was the only white person there, but. I didn't feel unwelcome. I felt like I was part of the crew because they're like, cool, you're here. Grab something to eat, then sit down and play. Get yourself some drink, something to drink, sit down and play. You were here to play. No one doesn't deserve to be involved. There's no one who should be excluded. Everyone should have not just the opportunity to be part of the team. Everyone should be on the team. This isn't tryouts. We're not going to decide who does and who doesn't. Everyone deserves an opportunity to get up and sing, to have an opportunity to pick their song at karaoke and belt it out, even if they barely know the words and they sure as hell don't know the key. That's what everything should be like. And I know this like some people are like, that sounds real hippy dippy. It's not. It's actually simple. We figured it out when we were five years old. Have everybody sit on the same play rug and play. That's it. That's all there is to it. And if you see someone who's not there, bring them in. I feel like this suggests a need for more micro opportunities to to play. You know, I think that one of the ways we set people up for failure, as I think about this more, Jess and I have been talking lately about how arbitrary the like 40 minute talk after 40 minute talk framework is, or, you know, 30 minute, whatever right. the conference is, you know, but but and I, I think it's, you know, one of the ways that we set people up, if not for failure, then for like a, a, a strict like a breakdown between the people who can do it and the people who can't is to say either you are somebody who can get up and entertain for 30 more minutes, 40 minutes at a time, you know, and leave people feeling like, like that was awesome. Or you don't need to be on stage at all. You know, and you, you gave your example of, you know, your first experience being a lightning talk that you got kind of chucked into. And, you know, there's not an, enough of that. I think there's not enough of, of like small, whether in the conference space or elsewhere, just like, opportunities to dip your toes into exposure absolutely i mean it's especially i think there are certain be around people right especially to be around people because if you feel like you don't belong there in the first place even if you got that lightning talk even if you were able to get up on stage for five or ten minutes even if you got that opportunity but you feel like oh the rest of the speakers are so above me or oh, all of these people are so different from me they'll never understand where i'm coming from there's no way to push your opportunity forward and a lot of people, for lack of a better term, I said they're unwilling, but I really feel like it's more to say they're afraid. They don't feel like they belong. They have that imposter syndrome. They don't feel like there's going to be a good reception. It's everywhere in, in, in the way that we do things. So you're right. Micro opportunities fix that. Lightning talks will always have, not just because of my experience, but they'll always have a place in my heart because a lot of times they're the best, occasionally most ridiculous parts of a conference. You know, seeing a lightning talk on lightning was amazing. I once saw a lightning talk, five-minute description on how to properly tie your shoes. Changed my life. Changed my life because apparently I had been doing it wrong the whole time. But these things are important. They give people an opportunity to see what's going on. 
Um, I think one of the best examples of that is I think a, a lot of you had been to uh, Madison Ruby from Jim Remzik. He put that together in Madison, Wisconsin, which most people would not think of a bastion of open-mindedness, but it actually kind of is like the Austin, Texas of Wisconsin. Very open, very, very nice. He allowed for so much time for people to take five minutes to get up on stage to tell their story, whether it involved being in tech or not being in tech wasn't important to him. To tell your story, why are you here? Tell us a little something about yourself. I thought that was one of the most amazing things ever. And he he made sure everyone had the opportunity. Like if you came to him and said, listen, I'd like to do five minutes and just tell people, you know, about what it's like to have grown up with undocumented parents and now I work in tech. To what it was like to to be black and poor and to literally he had someone talk about how they had found a computer in the trash, figured out how to put it back together with a book from the library, ran Linux on it and became one of the most professional coders the world knows now. Like that's a different experience. It's not an experience a lot of us have. You have to give those opportunities to people. You have to. And if that means I have to say, listen, I'm going to skip my slot. I'm going to step down. I'm going to put somebody else in my place. Sometimes you have to do that. I mean, let's be honest. We all know that I'm not afraid of talking. If you give me the opportunity, I'm going to go on for a while. But I also luckily have a little bit in the back of my brain and understanding that there's times when I need to shut up and give somebody else the platform, the stage, the podium, the microphone, whatever. It's interesting because I saw a talk. It wasn't a talk, actually. I saw a session at Madison Ruby that was African-American adolescent girls showing off their basketball dribbling skills. Oh, Uh, I was there for that. Yes. The little dribblers. It was amazing. There's no way you could do that online. Well, I guess you could. You could put a camera at them and, and have them do it. But it was really more about giving opportunities to girls who were not being seen and giving them an audience that wasn't going to happen otherwise. I mean, that's that's something I think is really important that any conference do, regardless of your format, is make sure that you're bringing in people who would otherwise not be seen, not be heard. It's not even about diversity. It's really making sure that um, we're constantly expanding our universe as developers and what that brings. It's easy to say what it brings to the industry. Make sure it's also bringing something to those people. And that was an opportunity to give those girls a chance to be on stage, to have the rewards of people really excited to see them. Um, some of them were fairly beginner. You could see different levels of experience showing, but it was really fun. And every once in a while they would uh, miss and the basketball would go into the audience. And that was even more fun because <laughs> exactly. got to toss around the ball a little bit, um, <laughs> getting it back to them. You know, you mentioned something earlier about sometimes having to trick employers into letting you speak. And the reason comes down to uh, travel costs. And oh, yeah. it strikes me that one of the end time off, you know, I mean, getting to wherever you are at minimum during the conference, there's a whole day of you not being at the office. And usually it's considerably more than that to attend a conference, a two day conference. I'm usually gone for, you know five days, and then there's the day of sleeping straight through. But for an online conference, someone can participate literally for that 30 minutes or hopefully more than that, but it's not nearly the same kind of time expense, and it's definitely not the same kind of monetary expense, which provides an interesting opportunity to be giving talks that employers normally wouldn't green light because you no longer need that green light, or a much smaller one where you just need to have permission for the topic or, you know, whether your company logo is going to be associated with this topic, but you can cover all the expenses speaking. So I hope that, that we use that to get people in to 
the pipeline to get talks that aren't being heard because it's too hard to get through all the institutional barriers normally. And the barriers have just been dropped for a time. And let's take advantage of that. I would love to hear, for instance, more mental health talks. And those are definitely ones that are hard to get approved. And it strikes me that one of the nice things is I, I deal with a fair amount of people who, because they're beginners, stage fright is a big thing. You know, that sense of like, I'll be staring out into an audience and, and you know, I'll see them reacting and they'll probably be reacting in, in horror or something at how bad I am. But with an online format, you're probably not going to see the audience. And maybe that can help some people who have stage fright to feel more like it's an ordinary meeting that I would be doing anyway. It's just that I'm the only one speaking in it for 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. So we have something really good that can come out of this very different dynamic that we're all in together to get some fascinating changes that can spur things forward that would not ordinarily happen. So I hope we look for more opportunities like that. Absolutely. I agree. I think that there are reasons why like online conferences are really valuable. Um, the ones you just mentioned, I think also like it's important to think about accessibility and like conferences have been doing better with accessibility. Some conferences have been doing better <laughs> with accessibility in recently, but I think that like to some extent there's only so much you can do. There's always going to be people who like can't make it in person for whatever reason, maybe like the cost, like, you know, we, we are lucky we travel a lot and go to these things, but not everybody can. And I think you're going to get like a much higher level of accessibility in, on these online conferences. And I think that that's really great. But like what's frightening to me is when people are like, I've, I've had conversations where people are like, yeah, it's so great. We're like, we're never going to have to do in-person conferences again. And I think that like there's room for both. <laughs> I really think there's space for both. And I think there's value in both that's slightly different. Well, I, th I think it's interesting. I think that um, I think a lot of the conferences that are looking is, at going online, which is which is a great idea. There's lots of opportunity for that, and there's much more accessibility. I think the one thing that people are forgetting too is, uh, especially people like us who are outgoing and willing to talk to people and go to conferences and travel, is there's a whole other sector of tech that never does that. They actually have always waited for the video to come out. They've, they've never bothered with the hallway track and they're happy to get their content a couple weeks later and repackaged, which is fine. I think these people are, are the ones that are going to be coming out of the woodwork and they're the ones that are going to say, Hey, this might be my opportunity to do a talk if I don't actually have to go anywhere or, you know, get out of my pajamas or take a shower. I might be able to get away with this. This might be something I could do now. Um, I think it also shows like, you know, the proliferation of the concept of the extemporaneous talk. I mean, like, this is a podcast. People can listen to this podcast whenever they're ready to listen to the podcast. Whenever they're comfortable, once it comes out, they can do it whenever they want. Um, I talk to a lot of my clients about the value of podcasts over webinars. Webinars are a fixed point in time. They have the word webinar in them, which means no one wants to go. You know, I, I think it's like, you know, if you have people who aren't into that concept and they want something that's outside of time that, like, you know, like you were talking about lead dev earlier, Karina, and it's the same concept. I can watch those videos whenever I want which is good. The positive part is they're, they, I can look at them whenever I want. They're probably going to be captioned, which is awesome. Like they're going to, they're, they're probably going to be highly produced, which is probably better. I think that, you know, a lot of these conferences are doing pre-recorded talks. So people have the opportunity to say, that's not the way I wanted to say that. Let me take it back and do it again. And um, as we mentioned earlier, I can do it anytime means I do it never. 
Right. That's that's the negative. I'm trying to be positive here, Jessica. There's a positive aspect of online conferences. Because, I mean, on the negative These side of it. are enabling, man. That This is true. At the same time, I saw people tweeting, you know, some people that all of us know, uh, tweeting yesterday that they're already burnt out on the concept of the, the online conference. Like, they've done three talks, and they're like, I'm done. I don't get the enjoyment I do out, out of speaking. I'm not enjoying watching the videos. And this actually started on a conversation about last week tonight with John Oliver and how weird it is to watch them without an audience. It's almost like you've missed your cue to laugh. Like it's harder to do a talk online with no audience and make jokes and have no response or make points that you think people would be like, ah, and there's no, ah, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that are probably getting very valuable content out of this. And if nothing else, it's, it's a good time for people to up their skills. Honestly, my advice is if you feel like you have a talk in you, the one thing that you can actually do right now is not wait for a conference. Record it. Record the talk and put it out there and say, like, I have this conference talk. Push it out. And then maybe if a conference needs it, they'll pick it up and put it in the slot. It's a good opportunity for you to get content out there. Can I mention, though, how hard it is to do anything right now? Because <laughs> I agree with you. And I'm trying real hard. I'm not working while yeah, I'm in quarantine. So, like, I have a lot of free time, um, which is rough, actually. And... I find myself, I'm supposed to, I was accepted to speak at RailsConf this year, um, which got canceled. And now they're doing RailsConf Couch, um, where they're going to release some of the videos of some of the talks that were supposed to happen, which I think is like, you know, as good of a compromise as we're going to get. Um, and I agreed to do my talk for RailsConf Couch, and I haven't done it. I only even started it yesterday, um, and I've been really struggling and I've been sitting around with nothing to do in my house, really bored and miserable. And I'm like, I don't, ha- I, I'm so bored. And I still haven't done it. I have exactly. No, I have no excuse as far as like time. It's just like really diff, like it's difficult time emotionally, and it's really hard to do things. Oh, it, it is. I have a perfect example. Like I have all the time in the world. And granted, I have. I have two older kids who are home, one who's in her senior year of high school, the other he's in his sophomore year of college, and they're here and, and we're doing stuff, we're trying to stay busy. But at the same time, like last year, I was traveling and I managed to put out an album of songs recorded in hotel rooms while I was traveling the first half of the year. Right now, I have pretty much any time, all afternoon, all the time in the world to go outside, just outside this room. Start recording drum tracks, bass tracks, vocal tracks, whatever. I've got all the equipment, but you know, it's like, yeah, I could do it whenever I want. I guess I'm not gonna, not gonna do that right now. It's just tough. It is. This is the worst timeline. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting discourse about, like, you know, it's okay to not be productive. Like, we're in a crisis. You know, you have to treat yourself like you're in a crisis, and you're using <laughs> your emotional energy and all of your energy on that. And I, I agree with that. But then I also like it's, it's, on the other hand, the other side of that discourse is also frustrating to me, where like, I'm going, I haven't got anything done. And I've sat on the couch, and I feel miserable, like I need to do something because I will feel better if I do something. And then people will be like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to do anything. Give yourself a break. I'm like, no, I do have to do something or I'm going to be miserable and it's going to be awful and I feel awful. And then I clean out my cupboards and go through all my uh, dishes and I still don't do my slides for my Rails content. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So procrastination is still an issue. You can always find something else to do that isn't the thing you're supposed to be doing. But 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's just hard. There's no answer to this. There's no, you know, find something that motivates you to do and, and do it. You're not wrong for not doing anything, and it's hard to not do anything. Like, there's no, there's no response to this. It, this was not in the playbook that I was given to explain to me exactly how to live my life. As we start at the top, at the top of the episode, I clearly plan out everything that I do. Um, there's definitely like a how to be PJ handbook that I use, but this wasn't in it. This, this was not part of the plan. I mean, it is tough all over. Like in DevRel, I'm watching people, you know, the entire team at O'Reilly, the entire events team was just axed in one day. Lots of DevRel teams are, are being furloughed or just fired because there's no events. We don't need that much content. We don't need everyone producing content. So what do you do? What is it you'd say you do around here? And, you know, at the same time, I'm running a business that is based entirely on all of that. So it's, it's interesting. Like we're doing okay. You know, no, no complaints. I have a few people working for me that are nervous, but I'm not nervous yet. So that's good. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. That's, that's all we can really do. Hopefully we spend this time reflecting and saying things and realizing, you know, people are listening to this podcast saying we can fix a lot of things in our community really fast when there's nobody active in it. And the next event we have is going to be the most amazingly diverse, open, cool thing that ever happened because we fixed all the problems. We figured out how to make things accessible. We figured out how to be live and online. We figured out how to incorporate both worlds. This is what people should be focused on. Yeah. I didn't mean to derail also with this kind of thought process, but I've seen a lot. Like one thing that I've seen and I think I agree with is that maybe – this time isn't necessarily when we're going to get like our most done and like be our most productive. But I do think it's the time where we're going to have some realizations about like what we think is important. Exactly. It's time. If, if anything, even if you're not doing anything, take stock, just take stock in, in, in yourself, your friends, your family and what's going on around you. Um, this is not a normal thing and it's not going to like, we're going to come out of this different than the way we went into it. It's it's funny because, you know, someone said to me yesterday and I, I tweeted about it, you know, it's funny that all of these, you know, developers and people are are saying like, you know, like they have all these opinions and they think that what they do is the most important thing in the world and 80% of them work at e-commerce sites. Like you're not innovating, you're not changing the world, you're selling t-shirts. Think about think about that as you, as you move towards what you're doing right now. Okay, y'all. Thank you for this conversation. It's healing to talk to each other about how things are and how things aren't right now. And this has been a long conversation, so it's definitely time for reflections. Karina, you want to go first? Yeah, I still have been thinking about PJ's visual analogy to me of lifting a hand way down. And I think that way was particularly important to lift someone up and throw them into the air. That exaggerated visual is meaningful to me, both the way down and the way up. I think we do have that responsibility. It's also a pleasure. It's really great to be able to help someone like that. It feels so rewarding. And thank you for that reminder, because right now we're all in such a state of stress. And I know for me, being helpful is one of those moments when I'm completely distracted from the stress and it's nothing but joy to see someone feel like they can do something that they were, that they a number of reasons believe they couldn't. So let's all be doing more of that. Lift a hand way down, lift them up and throw them into the air. I'm having a little bit of trouble thinking of a reflection uh, this time. And I think it's because my brain isn't working too real good um, <laughs> at the moment. But I guess what I 
it keeps coming back to as I try to think about it is like we said, I think all of us at one point or another during this episode talked about like feeling lucky and like it struck me because I do feel lucky while I also simultaneously feel like awful um, right now. And so I think that like holding on to that feeling of we talked about this, actually, we recorded an episode specifically about uh, the pandemic that will have come out, I think, a week before this episode will have come out. So maybe our listeners will have heard it. But we talked about being lucky in that episode also. Because, like, you know, we're all struggling, but we are also very fortunate to be in, like, more stable positions than many other people. And so I think that, like, holding on to that feeling is going to keep me going. And so I guess that's my reflection. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jamie. Yeah. I also feel lucky, including that I just caught a dragonfly in Animal Crossing. Because Animal Crossing is one of those things that is totally, like, getting us through the pandemic. I completely agree. Yeah. And it's, like many things, it is a social activity. I was only able to catch it because my kids taught me how to run yesterday. (laughs) I've been going to my friends' islands and being like, I'm like, hey, let's hang out. Want to come over? And they're like, yeah. And then I open up my (laughs) island and their little person comes over and we hang out. Yeah, it's a thing. I mean, we need to catch that where we can, that feeling of connection. My reflection is about constraints. And like we have free time. I have free time this week. And yet nothing comes out of me, right? What am I doing? I'm playing Animal Crossing. And and I'm grateful for conferences, including online conferences. Philly ETE is online next week. That give me a push to make output. Because we do have a lot to say to each other, but we're not randomly running into each other in order to say it. So I feel like I need to be squeezed. I need to either someone to either draw with questions or squeeze with a deadline the output that I do have to contribute to the world, even though it doesn't feel like it when I could be doing it anytime or I could be drinking rosé on the porch because it's beautiful today. That's something. Yeah. yeah, so conferences are, are both are fortuitous in a lot of ways, and we can push each other, and we can ask each other questions, and we can contribute to the world still. That's awesome. So for my reflection, I kind of want to tie in everything that we talked about, because that's the way my attention span works. But what, one of the things that came up a couple of times was was a gentleman named Jim Wyrick and, and what a great person he was. And he was so open and so friendly. And I always like to say that when Jim got on stage, even though he was in his 60s and had done so much, written so much code and given so much to so many communities and done so much work, he had a hello world attitude. Like, I think that's what, like, even with what's going on right now, like the world's a scary place and it's horrible. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm mad and I'm frustrated. Like it's pretty clear. I may have started vendettas against two different companies because that's how I spend my time on Twitter. But like reaching out and being open to people is like the most important thing in the world. Whether that's, you know, talking about conferences or tech communities or whatever. Like I'm so thankful that Karina and I had this conversation a few weeks ago and it culminated in, and you all get jumping on a podcast with me just so I could see you for, you know, a little bit of time and in a time when I might not be able to see you for a very long time. Like the whole idea behind human connection is super important right now. And I don't want to lose sight of that. Like it's, it's very, 
easy to to say like you know oh i should be doing something or i shouldn't be doing something or i should be taking care of myself or i don't want to take care of anything like it's really easy to say but but think about outside of that circle and outside of you know the normal things that you do day to day you know check on your neighbors see what's going on try to figure out a way to you know my daughter is like a master of this she's figured out a way to have kids come over with lawn chairs and sit on the driveway while she sits on the porch to hang out and she does that regularly and not super warm in Buffalo right now, but they do it and they sit there for three hours um, just chatting and doing whatever it is that 18 year old girls do in my front yard. And it's awesome. Like they are so much better at finding connection that we, than we as like full fledged adults are. It's astounding to me. And I think we need to take that open mindedness that leads to things like that, that open mindedness that Jim Weirich had and apply that as much as we can to keep things moving forward while we're, you know, in this time of doom and gloom. It's not just conferences, it's everything. We need each other and we need to be there for each other. So I think, you know, I want to focus more on that as time goes forward. PJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really great. Yeah, thanks for this. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was awesome. Okay, thank you, everyone. See you next week. And if you miss us in between shows, then come join our Slack. It's free at the moment. Uh, just ping greater than code on Twitter, or you can donate to our Patreon and help us stay on the air. Yes, we would appreciate <laughs> it very much if you could donate, but if you cannot, you may still come hang out with us on Slack. And we yes. always need episode sponsors. So if you think that greater than code needs to keep going, please help us. That money goes towards things like making sure that we've got transcripts of the talk which is an accessibility issue, obviously, we care about. So sponsors are always welcome and needed, and what you do helps us to make these as accessible as possible. 